0: we've been looking together haven't we at uh, the disciples who came to Jesus and they said teach us Luke 11 verse 1 teach us to pray they recognized that there was something in Jesus's prayer life in Jesus's life that was so different to their own and what they'd seen anywhere else that they said we need this we, this is this is what we need so teach us, teach us how to pray like you, because they recognize that out of Jesus' prayer life, everything else followed. And that if only they could pray like Jesus, they recognize that, that then all the other things that Jesus asked them to do would just fall into place. Prayer is the, is the foundation on which everything else comes. And so if prayer is not, is not right, if prayer is, is not the way Jesus would have us pray, Then everything else just is gonna collapse sooner or later. It's built on the wrong kind of foundation. So they said, Teach us, teach us how to pray like you. And we remember, let me see if I can get this working. Prayer, prayer is really hard to define. We 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 know how many of you pray? Right? Hopefully everybody. Right, how many are asleep? Then they didn't put their hands up. So we all pray, but, but how do you define prayer? Prayer, somebody said, is relational communication with God. Someone else put it like this. It's simply talking to God about what you're doing together. It's nice, it's good. But it's also listening to God about what you're doing together as well. But prayer is difficult to define. There are books and books and books and books on prayer. Jesus started off by teaching them, how not to pray. He said, don't, basically, don't look at the people around you, all the religious leaders. If you look at them, then that's a good example of what not to do. They say you learn from the very best and the very worst. Do you remember when you were back in school? You can remember the really good teachers, right? And you can remember the really bad teachers, but the vast swathes of all those in the middle you completely forget about, Right? Bad ones probably because you got into trouble. Good ones because they just—I don't know what happened. They—they love their subject and somehow they cause you to fall in love as well. That's what makes them so good. And Jesus said, when you look, look at all the religious leaders around you. This is how they pray. He said, don't don't pray like them. And we went through these different things about what you shouldn't do. We kind of turned them around into better, more positive. But then he said. Our Father. This is how you're to pray. And we looked at this last time. Our Father, he starts off, means that you have to connect, that you are connected. He is your heavenly Father. And only believers who can call God their Father really connect with God. And you can't be selfish because it's not my Father who art in heaven, it's our Father. It's all about us as a family together. So there's no such thing as a selfish prayer because everybody is involved. That's why we all say together, Amen, at the end, right? So be it. I'm, I'm in this prayer too. This is for me. You might be speaking it, but I'm saying it as well. That's why we say, Amen. Jesus said it gets to include Jesus and the Holy Spirit because they're with us. We're co-heirs with Christ and so on. We have equal access. There's no favorites for God. You can't go to, uh, you know, to Anne and say, Anne, you better pray for me because your prayers are more powerful than my prayers. No such thing. Because the prayer doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. And God says, you're all my children. There's no such thing as a favorite child. We all have the same access. We all have the same ability in prayer. And when we speak, we speak knowing that we're speaking to our father, our daddy. A daddy who we don't always understand, we don't understand particularly why dad sometimes says no, but we know that he always does it for our good, for the best of who we are. He always does it because he's thinking of you and me, and he says, you know, some things are not good for you, so I'm not going to give you those things. Some things are good for you, but it's not the right time to give you those things, and some things are good for you, and it is the right time, so I'm going to give it to you and I want you to have it and I want you to be blessed our father today we're going to carry on with the Lord's prayer I'm going to read it but as I read it why don't you just close your eyes you couldn't say it yourself because you won't know it in this version right this is the NIV version we know it actually let's just pray together forget about that let's just pray the Lord's prayer our father who art in heaven that's what it said on the screen our father who art in heaven what did he mean why did he say who art in heaven what was Jesus really getting at well firstly what is your picture of heaven when you think about heaven do I mean the common picture is lots of white angels with with wings Halos, of course, sitting on nice fluffy what is it? Cumulonimbus kind of clouds. I was trying to get the right sort of cloud there for a minute. Right, nice fluffy clouds, not rain clouds, not like today, but they're just nice and fluffy and white. And they're sitting there strumming sweetly on their harps, right? And somewhere in the distance you see God smiling and, and just is that heaven? Well, that's the kind of picture that we're given of heaven. But heaven is very different. We're going to look at the picture that the Bible gives of heaven. John, in the book of Revelation, it says he's there worshipping. He's having his worship. He's, he's, He's got a faith that's so so dynamic that they they stick him on some little rock somewhere right called patmos a bit like um i don't know it's just about to insult somewhere there but just a little a little rock right there's nothing there really and they stick him there because because they think well he can't do any damage if we stick him so far away right so they they put him on this little place this little island in the middle of nowhere and he's there, and he's worshiping God, and all of a sudden it says in Revelation chapter 1 that, that this, this incredible being turns up, and he falls flat on his face on the ground, and he says, I'm just going to play dead, right? I, I shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be happening to me. I, I'm, I'm dead, he says. And this being that comes is the risen Christ and Christ gets him and says what are you doing down there get up there's stuff I need to show you and literally Jesus takes him by the hand and lifts him up and he takes him on a journey which is the book of Revelation and what he does is that he then takes him into the very courts of heaven I'm going to read to you what he sees what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes. I know this is dangerous, but you've had an extra hour of sleep, right? So you shouldn't nod off. So close your eyes. And, and if you can, as I read this, I'm going to read it from the Living uh, Bible, okay? Chapter 4, Revelation. I want you to see if you can picture something of, of what you're seeing. Imagine you are John, and he says this, See if you can picture it. He said, then I looked, and I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I'd heard before, which sounded like a mighty trumpet blast, spoke to me and said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen in the future. And instantly, I was in the Spirit there in heaven and saw, oh the glory of it. I saw a a throne with someone sitting on it. And great bursts of light flashed forth from him as, as from a glittering diamond or from a shining ruby. And a rainbow glowing like an emerald encircled his throne. And there were 24 smaller thrones surrounding his with 24 elders sitting on them. All were clothed in white with golden crowns on their heads. And lightning and thunder came out from the throne and there were voices in the thunder. And directly in front of the throne there were seven lighted lamps representing the sevenfold spirit of God. And spread out before it was was a shiny crystal sea. Four living creatures, dotted front and back with eyes, stood at the throne's four sides. The first of these living beings was in the form of a lion, and the second looked like an ox, and the third had a face of a man, and the fourth the form of an eagle with wings spread out as though in flight. And each of these living beings had six wings, and the central sections of their wings were covered with eyes. Day after day, and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. And when the living beings gave glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him and worshipped him, the eternal living one. And they cast their crowns before the throne, singing, O Lord, you are worthy to receive the glory and the honor and the power, for you have created all things. They were created and called into being by your act of will. It's quite a picture, isn't it? It's not surprising when Isaiah saw it, when he was taken up in his commissioning, that he he said, he started calling cursing on himself. He said, Whoa, woe is me. He said, I'm a man with unclean lips and I live among a people. He's saying, I shouldn't be here. It's like John who, who sees Jesus, he said, I can't be here, I've got to be dead. And when we see these pictures of heaven, when we see the glory and the majesty of the throne, it's like we shouldn't be there. That's, that's not a place for you and me. Maybe these these weird creatures and maybe the, the super Christian elders who are all seated around and got their gold thrones, their gold crowns, and they're, they're worshiping, but you and me, should we be there? How can we come into a place like that? But Jesus said, This is the person you speak to when you pray our Father, who's not on earth, but sitting on the throne of heaven. You see, God operates from His throne. He sits there on His throne, full of His, His, the heavenly courts, full of worship. And that's where That's where the word comes that's where the answers to prayer originate from that that's where when you pray and you receive a yes and a now that's where it comes from and when we pray that's where our prayers go straight into the courtroom of heaven you ever think about that your prayer doesn't just sort of end up in the cloud somewhere your prayer, my prayer, goes straight into the courtroom of heaven, and it's as so though we walk in there, and we stand before that throne that we've just pictured, and we say, Father, this is what we need. Father, th- this is, can you, can you do this? And the question is, well, how, how can we get there? How can we, how can we even have the audacity to go in there? And Jesus has already answered that, hasn't he? Because he's our father. I remember when, years ago now, the years when we had pews, you know where it goes, where the, where the woodwork is? That was all pewed before we did the rebuild. And I remember it was probably a couple of years after I'd started here. There were, there were three, three women in the church that used to sit... You know you guys sit in the same seats some of you every week right that's just my seat right I'm comfortable here there there was over there right just back from that pillar there three women used to sit side by side every Sunday and I remember one Sunday my son Michael he came and he sat in their pew like this he was just sitting there like this right and they came in and they said, uh, excuse me, that's, that's where we sit. And he kind of looked up at them and he just went, there's lots of other seats. And they go, no, 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 you don't understand, that's, that's, that's where we sit. Like We, we sit there, that's, that's, that's our seat. And he said, well, I'm here now. And he just stayed there. And there was murmurings, and there was grumblings. And they had to move. They went and they sat exactly the same spot, but one pew further forward. And I got to hear about it. Now, how did my son Michael get away with that? I bet you if it was any other child in the church, they would say, said, just get out of that seat. I don't care who you are, get out. Well, you see he's the pastor's son so he can sit there and as a as a young teenager and say i'm in now and there's nothing they could do right why because because he's my son and when you're the son of the pastor you can sit in any seat you want to sit in and there's not a lot people are going to do about it right Because you know the big cheese who's up the front. And it's the same with God. How can we even deem to lift our prayers into the courts of heaven because we are his sons and his daughters? He said, our father first. So he says, you know what, you can come into the throne room because you are my son or my daughter you have a right you can be there and you can come up to the very throne that's got all this lightning and rainbows and everything else and you can talk to me because i'm your dad and i'll make all the time in the world to listen to my children I asked you last time, does God listen to every prayer? No. You see, prayers prayers are non-believers. It's an insult to think you can walk into that place, walk up to the throne room of God, and just say, "Hey, God, do this or do that." You ain't going to listen. You ain't going to get past the doorman. But for you and me, wow, what a privilege what a privilege you see the difficulty for us is this the difficulty is holding those two together right? he is the king of kings and the lord of lords he is the one that you read about in Revelation where the elders are all falling on the floor and any crowns that they are given they just throw them back at the feet of of God because they say this is all you and we have to somehow hold that picture and that, that truth about who God is in one hand. And in the other hand, we have to hold the truth that he's our father, our dad. And, and it's not easy for those to mix together. Because it's like he is the creator of the universe. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the one like, like John, That we would fall on our face this is john right john the apostle john who was called the most beloved disciple the one who had his ear right next to jesus's heart in the last supper the one who went up on mount transfiguration the one who was in jesus's inner circle and he goes into heaven and what does he do he falls on his face and says i shouldn't be here i'm going to be dead let me just play dead let me just lie here and pretend So everybody will just leave me alone, right? I shouldn't be here. And that's John, the guy that wrote the gospel and wrote Revelation, and the guy that was so close to Jesus' heart. And so we, we have to hold on the one hand that the God who is the creator of all things, the God who operates from His throne in heaven, but He's also our Father, our Dad. We have that intimate relationship with him if we're believers in Jesus Christ, which means we can come. But we come first because he's our father, and then we recognize who he truly is. Our father who art in heaven. But there's a second thing, a second reason I think Jesus began the prayer like this. It's not just that he sits on his throne. Let me me explain it like this. I am a, a dual national. Do you know what that means? That means I get double the amount of Olympic game medals when we're counting as anybody else, right? I have two passports. I have my British passport, right? Which is in its nice cover. it's the old red one here. Let me take it out, there you can recognize it. There's my British passport. Slightly curly because it went through the laundry machine but it still works. I was slightly nervous the next time I went to the airport but you can still scan so if you ever forget that you've got them in the back pocket of your trousers, you launder your trousers when you get home and think where is my passport gone? Never fear! because the barcodes and everything else still works, apparently, at least at a 30-degree wash it does, right? So there's my British passport, but I'm also a Canadian citizen, right? There's my Canadian passport. I'm not going to open it to show you the picture, so don't even think about that, right? But there's my Canadian passport, which hasn't been through the laundry machine, and is nice and crisp, right? Sorry? Been through the ice that's true it has been through the ice so I have two passports because I have two nationalities and I have two nationalities because I've lived in both countries I lived in Canada and so I became a Canadian citizen and I had to swear allegiance to the Queen which was rather bizarre when I was British before I became Canadian but there you go but you know when we moved to Canada I suddenly found out really quickly that even though they speak English, I didn't have a clue about how anything worked. I, I had kind of naively assumed, I guess, that most things would work the same way that they work in Britain. But they don't. Let, let me give you an example. Cars, they drive on the other side of the road to what we drive on. Right? I don't know why, they just do. So everything's reversed. So if you've got a standard car, you spent your time doing this, right? Or rather like this. And actually what you end up doing is scraping the door because the gear lever isn't there, it's over here, right? And you just think, well, why, why would you do that? I've spent years learning how to drive. And not only that, all the rules are different. It's not in miles per hour, but in kilometers an hour. So you have to figure out what the mileage should be and everything else. Not only that, there they have this really sensible idea that when you get to a, a red light, traffic light, stop light, they call it, if you stop and it's clear, you can turn right. I didn't know that the first time I'm there, I'm sitting there waiting patiently for it to go green, and there's a whole load of people beeping me behind, wondering why I'm not moving, because you know the right-hand turn there is the near side, you're not crossing the road. But if it's free, you can do that. And, and it's perfectly legal. What you can't do there if you're a pedestrian and called jaywalking, you can't walk just across the road. You get arrested for that if it's not a pedestrian crossing or with lights. I didn't know that either. I didn't get arrested, but I was firmly told, you can't do that just because you sound... I put on my posh British accent to try and get out of trouble. But you're not allowed to do that. So there's all these rules, not only that, Insurance is different when you buy a car. You buy a car, and the insurance is connected with the car, not with the individual. So if I, if I bought buy a car, and it's insured, any of you with a license can drive it with my permission on my insurance, because it goes with the car. And it never changes. It doesn't matter where you live. The insurance is fixed to the kind of car that you have. You can look it up online. It's very sensible. And it stays for the whole life of that car never changes but you have to renew your driving license every year and it's like twenty dollars for a license but if you have a conviction it doubles and then it doubles again and then it doubles again so twenty dollars is nothing right it's like 15 pounds nothing but then it becomes 30 pounds for three years If You get a speeding fine or a parking fine or whatever. And then it becomes 60 pounds and then 120 pounds and then 240 pounds. And if you're really bad, I heard of someone whose driving license was something like 2,000 pounds a year because he just had a really fancy car that he liked to speed through town and they kept catching him. After three years, it starts to, to roll off. But it's all different. And what you can't do is you can't go there and act as though you were still in England. I tried that, driving down the wrong side of the road by mistake when I first got there. And then somebody's coming straight towards you and you start panicking, thinking, am I right, am I wrong, am I right, am I wrong? And you have to swerve over and, it's me, I'm wrong. And you get used to it. You can't take the rules from here and apply them there. But let me tell you something. God is different. God operates from a heaven perspective. I can't take my British passport and say, hey, I'm Britain, and go live over there, and then expect everything to work in a British way or here, work in a Canadian way, right? It doesn't work that way. We have to abide by the rules of the country that we're in. That's not true for God. God's rules from heaven are the way he answers prayer. Let me say that again. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. God's rules from heaven are the way he answers prayer. Let me show you. I could have taken anywhere in Scripture, really. But let me take you to Numbers. Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers, the people of Israel have left Egypt, and they've gone out into the wilderness. And God gives them the manna to eat, right? Every day, they, they go out. Manna just means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. So they called, let's call it, what is it? Because we haven't got a name for it, and they had to pick up this kind of dewy dough stuff, and they made kind of little biscuits and cakes. And then after a while, what happens is that they start to go to Moses and they say, you know, we're kind of fed up with bread. You know, man shall not live on bread alone—that comes later. But you know, we're fed up with this. We want meat. You know, they—they they were looking for a McDonald's really in in the wilderness, and there wasn't any. And they said, we want meat. Give us meat to eat. Well, we had loads of meat when we were back in Egypt. Why have you brought us into this middle of nowhere where there is not a single McDonald's, KFC, anything around? We want meat. And they grumble and they complain. And so Moses does what Moses did, which is he goes and he says, God, these people, you give them bread and they want meat. What am I going to do? And this is where we pick it up. Numbers 11, verse 18, it says, "'Tell the people,' God says, "'consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, "'when you will eat meat. "'The Lord heard you when you wailed, "'if only we had meat to eat. "'We were better off in Egypt. "'Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. "'You will not eat it for just one day, or two days, "'or five days, ten, or twenty days but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who was among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Imagine having a, a, a Big Mac every day for a whole month, nothing else. Imagine your waistline, right? But Moses says... Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, right? 600,000. That was the size of the army. So we're talking about two million people, right? In our context, that is twice the size of Birmingham, right? Get the scale in your head. So Moses is saying... I've got twice the size of Birmingham, which is the second largest city in in the UK, right? After London. London's seven million or something. Birmingham's about a million. So that's twice the size of Birmingham. He's saying, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? So Moses is looking and he's going like, well, we've got flocks and herds. If we kill all of these, we can't feed a million people, two million people, sorry, for a whole month on just meat. Imagine the size of the freezer you would need for that. That would just be astronomical, right? He's going, it's impossible. The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep. You all know how big a cubit is, I'm sure. Two cubits is like a meter, about half of me, right? So it's like from there to here. So there's this, like this, this mass of birds fluttering about, right? If you don't like birds, this will be pretty scary. About a meter deep. All around the camp, as far as a day's walk, in any direction. All that day and night, and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Now you all know what a homer is, I'm sure. Ten Homers of quail, somebody worked it out, would be one thousand nine hundred birds. That's how many they each right? Imagine going out there. Because they were just knee deep, like they were waist deep in birds. Right? They're flying everywhere. So they're just literally is the way I picture it is a bit when I was in Uganda all those years ago, right? The first rains come. And what happens is that the ground opens up and all these flying ants come out, right? They're, they're ants about this big and they've got big white wings, right? They call them white ants. And they just erupt from the ground everywhere. It's like a fog of ants. And what you see, like, is you see, you see men and, and women, they go around and they catch these ants, right, because you cook them and eat them. That's a different story. But what you see is you see kids doing this. They just have their mouths open as wide as they can, like this. And they just run up and down with their mouths open, and it's so thick, full of ants that they just eat them while all these ants are flying around. And they're literally running up and down the streets, everywhere, just grabbing mouthfuls of these flying ants. And then you crunch them up and eat them. Right, I got a picture, uh, not up there, but of me eating a bowl of ants, right? Like, um, they're kind of crunchy. They, they crisp them up and they taste a little bit like peanuts. They're quite tasty. But they're full of protein, right? So that's why they eat them. But anyway. So you can imagine it, right? Get the picture. Like a meter deep, full of these birds going everywhere, right? <clears throat> Kids running up and down, just eating birds off their wings, right? Right? Everywhere, till they get about nearly 2,000 birds per family. Because they're just everywhere, right? They're miles and miles and miles of birds, it's like a plague of birds going everywhere. God doesn't do anything in short measures, does he? Then they spread them out all around the camp. And then they had to eat them till they were sick. Sick of meat. Right? God said it. You see, the thing is, what did Moses do? He looked in the physical realm. He looked at what was possible. He said, like, how, how are we going to feed these people? We'd have to slaughter every single cow, and every single goat and sheep and cow and everything that we've got with us and that wouldn't be enough. But you see, God is not limited to the physical, right? He responds from the rules of heaven, not the rules of earth. Do you understand what I'm saying? God responds from his throne room and he is not limited to the rules of this world. He's only limited to his rules in his kingdom. He operates from a heavenly perspective. Let me hammer it home. Jesus said, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I have prayed that a few times when I've been cycling up Harrell on the Hill, but it hasn't worked yet. But right, what is he saying? He's saying, you can't tell a mountain to move, right? But he says, from a God perspective, you can. Because he doesn't operate by the same rules we operate by Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. If you believe, if you recognize that your prayer goes from us into the courts of heaven and then God answers it from the heaven's rules when it comes back down, that's how you can get those kind of answers that we call miracles. Then Jesus called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. Could they do that before? No. Did they do that after Jesus? Yes. Did they carry on doing it through the acts of the apostles? Yes. Has God carried on doing that throughout believers even up till today? Yes. Why? Because he's operating from heaven's rules, not from earth's rules. Do you understand? You're looking blank at me, as though I'm talking nonsense. He said, if you remain in me and my words and I were remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, every, when I read the Gospels, when I read Jesus, this is when he's in the boat and he's asleep, and they wake him up and said we're going to drown we're going to drown and he gets up and he says to the wind and the waves quiet be still and they calm down and he said to his disciples why are you so afraid you still have no faith and they were terrified and they asked each other who is this even the wind and the waves obey him you see Jesus was operating from a heavenly perspective you see i when i when i read the gospels when i read jesus it's like, he's not surprised that these miracles happen, is he? Because, because he operates solely from a heaven perspective. So he knows, because he wrote the rules, right? In the beginning was the word. He wrote the thing, so he knows what the rules are. So, so for him, it's just natural. And it, his, his shock, his surprise is in our response or the response of the disciples why can't you get it why can't you get that if you're a follower of jesus christ the rules change when you pray you pray operating from a heaven rules heaven perspective not from the earth you don't need to look at what's possible around you and then say god can you can you make that happen you look at what God can do from God's rules, from God's perspective, and you say, Lord, that's what we need. We need heaven on earth. We'll do that more, because the Lord's prayer carries on as We've said today, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. So he's saying like, We'll look at that next time. Bring it down. Let's, let's have that heavenly perspective. That's why he started our Father who art in heaven. Because he wants us to understand both the God that sits on the throne, but also the, the way in which God impacts our world and continues to impact our world. let me ask you a question this morning when you pray whose rules are you asking God to follow when you pray whose rules are you asking him to follow are you asking God to bless human rules what we see around us Or are you asking God to bring heaven's rules down to earth? There is a radical difference between the two. Father, help us to see you as as who you are on that throne. You are the author, the Alpha, the Omega, the author and perfecter of everything. You are the one that holds it all together. Lord, we, we use these words like King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we don't really stop to think what it is. You're the one where where angels and and elders and, and people just bow down before you. You you see everything through that, that crystal sea. You say, I look down on, on earth and I see, I see in the hearts of people. Lord, you're also our Father who longs to give good gifts to his children. But you don't give earthly gifts, you give heavenly gifts. Because you say, I, I've got all these storehouses up here full of heavenly things that I want to bring down to earth. Lord, help us to realize when we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, we're not just talking about geography we're talking about perspective and Jesus I thank you that you showed us what that really means he showed us that the the people who are sick can become well the people who are cut off from community can be brought back into community the people who are struggling can be raised up Lord you showed us what that means teach us teach us what it means when we talk to you when we pray our Father who art in heaven that we may ask you from a heavenly perspective to bring down those good gifts to earth not for our benefit but for the benefit of others around us as we become channels of grace channels of love, channels of heaven into earth. We thank you and we praise you. Teach us, Lord, how to pray. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. And so let's pray. Let's pray together for things around us for this world Lord we so we want to just talk to you Lord you created a world that's beautiful and Lord we messed it up so bad we messed it up so bad that leaders of the world have to get together to try and minimize the damage they're not even rectifying it they're just trying to minimize the damage And we've messed it up so bad that it's going to cost billions and billions and billions to try and sort out. Because some of us want instead of nurture. Firstly, Lord, forgive humanity for what we've done to a world that was in balance and was really good, a world that you were delighted with, and now a world that is so crumbling. Lord, we ask that your spirit would come into Glasgow and that you would touch the lives of the people who make the difference. That they wouldn't just be there for words and for sound bites and, and to look good. But that you would truly change their hearts, that they may recognise the seriousness of what's happening and have the same the same desire to sort it out as we've seen with the with the coronavirus and opening the government coffers to look after everybody. Lord, that we would do that. Not just in this country, but around the world that we will preserve and nurture and, and give what you have given to us to future generations in so much of a better state of health than it is right now. Spirit of God, bring transformation and change. It seems impossible, but you're the God of the impossible. God we ask that you would stop wars in our world we think of Afghanistan and the plight of so many people there that are starving I was reading about families having to give away children just trying to because they got no food and countries that just turn their backs Lord these these are children of you created in your image that are in desperate need bring help and transformation and change in Sudan and so many other places Lord I don't understand why, why we can't get our act together bring change bring real change into people's lives in our world start with us change us and our hearts that become cold sometimes to these to the plight of so many Father we pray for those we know that are struggling in body in mind or in spirit and we ask that you would visit them in the same way that you asked your disciples to go out and to preach and to, to remove any evil influences and to bring healing and wholeness into people's lives, use us in the same way. Flow through us, through your Holy Spirit. As we connect to you, we connect to that very courtroom in heaven. And you flow through us. You desire to flow through your Spirit, through our hands, through our words into people's lives. Help us to recognize when we speak, we speak your word that can bring transformation and change. Teach us to pray. And Father, we thank you for just your continued blessing. Bless your church. Here at Trinity, at Totteridge, our brothers and sisters in Central Harrow, in the URC, in the Methodist Church, all our brothers and sisters throughout the world, use your church to be that instrument of change and transformation and hope and encouragement into people's lives. Teach your church how to pray. Lord, we lift ourselves, one another. Your church, our world to you. In the name of Christ. Amen.